book of Galatians, chapter 6, and uh, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the word today, uh, thankful for this text. It is, uh, it's important, and it is given to us for our good. Uh, remind us of your grace that's provided for us in the word of God, and uh, may we hear it with uh, new uh, understanding Uh, May we listen uh, deeply to what you are saying. May your voice be present and clear among us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I do want to just one more plug for Oz Guinness. Really, do what you can uh, to be there uh, this coming Friday or Saturday. Uh, Remarkable moments. You'll look back on this in your life, and uh, I think you'll really be happy that you went to hear him. Um, Galatians 6, we're going to be looking at verse 6 through verse 10. Um, Thank you, Kathy, for reading. You can see it there in your worship folder or if you have your Bible nearby, Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Look at verse 6 and let's get a feel for it. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let's unpack that for a little bit there. In all the epistles, we have application toward the end of the epistles. We have the first chapters usually are all about the gospel, all about the foundation of our acceptance with God. And then we move into application. And so this passage is a little bit tough to just sort of preach on because it's direct exhortation and it has a lot to do with activity and what we're to do. And I always feel a little bit edgy on those kind of passages because I want to make sure we're hearing the gospel first, and then we're, in light of the gospel, we're responding uh, as we ought to to do that, ought to respond to the gospel. So I'm a little bit edgy on this because um, I want to avoid what's called moralism. Moralism is an exhortation, do this, be this, usually it's be this, be more committed, be more devoted, be more surrendered, be something. Um, and then you're sort of left with an exhortation. Maybe the pastor highlights how he does these things. And then you close in prayer. And there isn't a lot of reference to Jesus. And there isn't a lot of good news in moralism. So I want to be careful whenever uh, we have... People in the pulpit here, uh, they are here because they can avoid moralism. But this opening statement in verse 6 is, um, is there for a very important reason. It is to speak to the issue of generosity. If we understand the gospel, if we get it, it will affect how we view our pocketbook, how we view our resources, our talents, abilities. 
we will begin to move in the flow of divine generosity. Divine generosity means that within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was a decision to be generous towards sinners. This decision is called the plan of redemption. And it shows up in real time, in real space, in a real human body, And God's generosity flows from heaven to earth. For God so loved. You could say, for God was so generous toward a fallen world. So this this generosity actually is an inevitable result of the gospel. It isn't just that there's some Christians who sort of become generous, and there's others who just don't. That's not an option for them, that everyone who understands the gospel is profoundly changed in their understanding of generosity. This series is on a recovery of our joy. And I recognize as a pastor, I can put pressure on you or pressure on your heart. I can do something here that would make you want to respond. And you may respond. That would be something fairly temporary. And so you can put guilt on people. You can put shame on people. You can, um, uh, maybe if you're in a, a building program, you put the thermometer up there. How many of you have ever seen the thermometer, the giving thermometer, right? And we're behind in our giving. And so we've got to, and you come up with a, you know, a clever way to get people to give. Well, there are clever ways for people, uh, you know, and there's professionals who actually are hired by churches to figure out how to increase giving in the congregation. And my goal here actually is not to talk about um, giving or finances, but it's right here in the text, so I'm required to do this. (laughs) Um, But there's an issue of the heart here, isn't there? That the Apostle Paul has enough experience with the early church that he understands that Christians um, need to be the foundation in the gospel and then exhortations, and they need to have it clearly spelled out. This is what an understanding of the gospel looks like. People are receiving the benefit of the preached word, of pastoral oversight, of church organization, as it were. They are receiving the instruction in the gospel. And Paul is saying that the standard or normative way of looking at this is that there is one person who is designated full-time. They don't have to be a fisherman. They don't have to be a carpenter. They don't have to have another vocation. They can actually be full-time devoted to the care of the flock and, in particular, to preaching. This is for the health and goodness of the church. It is how God has designed it. And what is needed is this needs to be done in such a way that that individual is not distracted by a need to have another vocation. And so let those who are instructed respond in material good, financial good, to the instructor. Pretty cool text for a preacher, right? Okay. 
But it leads to a very funny phrase in verse 7. Funny meaning odd. Because as you're reading your Bible, you may think, how on earth does verse 7 connect with verse 6? Well, there it is. Uh, And let no one be deceived. God is not mocked. Um, How how is that connected to what, what just went before in verse 6. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Don't be deceived. So let's put into this scenario here, and this is going to be a very straightforward teaching from God's word. <laughs> and I've thought about how to, to do this in a loving way, and I will try to be loving, but here's how it works. Why would anybody say, don't be deceived, by the way, and, you've, and you just talked about financial resources? How, would, what, how on earth are those connected? All right, here's how it goes. Paul must have seen this, and he saw people who had professed faith. They were attending church. They were receiving the benefits of the preached word, the work of the church, pastoral oversight, perhaps. And what they were doing was they were not really honoring the support of the minister. They were not in the game. They didn't have any skin in the game. Now, they attended. Uh, Perhaps they lived on the fringes of the, the church's life. But they lived in such a way that they thought their attendance... Their light regard for the church, let me say it that way, their light regard for the ministry of the church, their view perhaps of the minister or the ministerial office was like, uh, man, I don't know what they're thinking. I could do that. Oh, I, I, can, I can be fed my own way. I, I have my Bible. So whatever their reasons are, they do not esteem the set-apart office of a minister and preaching and so what they are doing is they are thinking to themselves, what I am doing is enough and God will receive it. I don't really have to be involved at this level to be participating in the life of the church. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Meaning, God is looking right into the heart of a person who is engaging in what would really be called an empty profession of faith. This means that there's, it's just a profession of faith, but there's no life behind it. So he, he now begins to explore the whole idea of where are you investing your energies, your finances, your life? Where are you sowing as a farmer? Where are you planting? And are you planting, and he brings up the flesh again, a chapter from a from chapter 5, he brings up the flesh and he brings up the spirit. And there are two realms to sow in. And the person who is gathering for religious purposes, wanting to put on a show, to be seen in church, to be seen and to be, for some reason it's part of their mode of living that they just are going to be seen in religious circles. Paul is saying that you are sowing to the flesh. 
You are not engaged in a response to God's will and the covenant community of God's people. Whatever they may be saying inside, in their heart, they are saying God will accept this meager, nominal response. Have you seen, though, in the ministry of Jesus that when people understand and get it two weeks ago, we heard a message on Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus understands the grace and forgiveness that's in Jesus, what was so precious in his heart, which was money, he now makes retribution to those that he had defrauded four times as much. Instantly, he had credibility restored, and money did no, no longer seem to be a, a, have a grip on his heart. To understand the gospel means to be understanding your true wealth. And so what this is, is a self-imposed deception. So we, and I understand this, so it's, it's, it's the, what's needed, I thought about this this week, I thought, man, okay, I've got to preach this, I've got to preach this. And what, what, what it means is the means of grace that are go, it's going on right now, here's what God is doing for your good. He is exposing the motives of your heart that you can't see. You can't understand. You become comfortable with them. The, you, maybe your spouse sort of receives. It's, kind of, it's, it's just kind of how you live, and no one really knows what's, what's happening underneath in the heart. But then the heart needs to be revealed, and I hope you have a regular experience of this in worship. That's, that would be like the normal thing to, to happen in, in church. Of course your heart is going to be revealed to you. And of course we struggle. And of course there's a certain level of hypocrisy in all of us. Of course. We, we can come to church and we can sort of just go through the motions of that. And we may think by way of just a default method, well, at least I went to church. I, it didn't mean that much to me. But, you know, and then we might think it must, it must count for something in my relationship with God. Of course, it, it doesn't. It doesn't ever gain anything for you. It's supposed to be a response of thankfulness. But we need to have our hearts revealed to us. Self-imposed deception is actually something we are to be watchful, watchful of. That's why the area of fellowship groups or accountability or one-on-one get, getting together. Um, what are you seeing in my life that I'm not seeing myself? And so... Paul moves to this sort of proverb, and it works in all kinds of, I mean, you can read this even in self-help books, you know, what you sow, you'll reap, right? No pain, no no gain, right? So we're all used to this, right? It's a proverb. Probably every culture has some kind of proverb like this, right? Well, Paul just says, yeah, this is how we all think, and believers and non-believers, everybody thinks this way, and you know what? It's true. Whatever Whatever you do has consequences, right? And so here's the larger question. Really, our gathering every Sunday is a gathering of, of, the, of God's future people gathering. 
we're gathering to have our hope restored about the world to come, the new heaven and new earth. We are to gather and to, to have our hearts restored to the idea that, yes, it is worth investing in the kingdom. Yes, I see the treasure. I see the pearl of great price. I see the worth of this kingdom. I see the worth of this cross. I see the worth of this Savior and Redeemer. I see it. I see it. And therefore, you now begin to sow. You begin to plant for a harvest that will come at the end of the age. You begin to be convinced over and over again that this is indeed worth it. And you begin to look at yourself and you begin to think, I can see where I was self-deceived. Often you can think perhaps it's where you maybe focus too much on the personality of the preacher. And, and, and you begin to sort of evaluate, well, you know, this, this presentation of the kingdom... Um, I sort of got it down. I've got it figured out. I, it can only be so much because of his abilities or his inabilities. It's only all about at a human level. But then God pierces through. God pierces through that. And then the value of the kingdom is much more important and much more significant than the personality or the style of the preacher. You begin to hear and see and sense the beauty and wonder of it. So every time you are, you, are, you are experiencing renewal by the Spirit, you are now, the overflow is, is a desire to, to serve. In verse 9, the subject of weariness is addressed. No doubt Paul had looked across the church, churches that he had planted, and he had seen over time that people, as they are doing good, they get tired. And weariness is a normal part of serving. And you've got to be careful to not get burned out. But he exhorts them to keep going. Let us not grow weary of doing good. This means that we can't quite see the end result. See? As you serve in the church, you may not always see the benefit of it. And so you become weary in doing good. Um, I've been, Marianne and I are in the middle of this remodeling thing in our house. And uh, I am quite taken by watching a carpenter cut wood. Um, I live in kind of a cerebral world, you know, this world. And I watch a carpenter just a saw and... And I go, wow, like in eight, in eight minutes... You just did something. <laughs> you accomplished something. I just stare at it. Wow. And so I follow this guy around my house and watch him accomplish things. And the results are instantaneous. Now, in my world, I don't know what's going on. Can you tell me some results that are instantaneous in your heart right now? Can you help me? Can you give me some feedback? Do you, are you all tracking what I'm saying here? I have no idea if this is effective. God tells me it's effective, and that's why I'm hanging on. You have no idea how much drywall attracts me these days. The power of, of a drill 
I can put the screw in and I can take it out. It's amazing. Instant results. That's not church work. That's not church work. Church work is long-term sowing to a, sowing to a world you, you can't see yet. Are you ready for that? By the way, some people don't like that. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't get involved with these things. That, that's too hard, too tough. That's not my personality. They, we dismiss it. I think it's a profound, profound achievement of the gospel to get us serving other people. <laughs> I think that's profound. Uh, you know, and I'm not ta- I'm serving other people and their needs profound. For instance, I'll give you one, one practical example. Here's a 15-minute ministry. Ready? Here it is. It just takes 15 minutes. Uh, get here at 9.45. And you'll have a ministry. And you know what the ministry is? You'll greet new people. Because new people who visit the church are more organized than you. <laughs> they plan their morning. And some, most of them misinterpret how quickly they can get here. In a 20, what looks like a 25-minute drive ends up being a 15-minute drive or something. And so they're here. And they're stuck talking to me, which is okay. But actually, I'd rather have them talk to you. Because you see, I'm paid to be good. You're good for nothing. Never mind, I'm sorry. That's a cheap joke. I use it once a year. You didn't take that wrong, did you? So, but you see, here's the deal. In Romans 12, we're told to outdo one another in honoring each other. Did you know that? Outdo one another in honoring each other. So you can honor the guests who come to worship here by you being present. Introduce yourself. Talk about your experience here. Welcome them. Maybe they're new to the island. Orient them. Maybe they live here in Kailua for a long, long time. You could introduce yourself. That's a very simple ministry. You are honoring a guest who comes to worship here. Galatians 6.10. Now let's take a look at this for a moment. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Wow, that's a wide, you could drive a truck through that passage there. That's wide. There's a lot of creativity there. Do good. What, what do you mean, Paul? What does it look like? Well, as we study our New Testament, you can get lots of good ideas and direction. Let us do good. You are now allowed to move in the power of the Spirit, creativity, thinking about what this other person could need, what they might uh, enjoy, what, how you could serve them, how you could interact with them. And then we have the beautiful caveat, as we have opportunity. Now, this means that you can go to the dentist, you can wash your car, you can fix your house. You can, uh, in other words, you have a life. You have your life to maintain, but as we have opportunity, we are to think and engage about the needs of others, especially to the household of faith. Do you see that there? That is because we are brothers and sisters. 
we are blood-bought related to each other. Musicians this morning arrived at 8.15. They did that to honor you. Outdo one another in honoring one another. Think about it. Think about the need to build up the body of Christ. I'm thinking a lot about our college students who go off to college and are facing significant financial challenges. These are what we call covenant children. Covenant children. Now, when they are little ones, we... Uh, we say a vow that we will help those parents in the Christian nurture and admonition of these children, right? But what about these kids who are getting these extraordinary debts just to get a college education today? Do we, do we have, I just, I'm just thinking of a practical application. Why, why don't we own more of, of, of their financial concerns? Can you, feel, can you feel in the gospel that your needs are being met? Can you feel it? Can you sense it? I have to dwell constantly on the gospel because my heart feels like an endless need bucket. And I have to constantly dwell upon, wow, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. Wow. God was merciful. God was generous to me. It will always feel a little bit painful to serve others. I remember when we were finishing the building program here. Some of you are here remember those days. We were exhausted financially. We were very tired. The first service was Easter morning, 1998. And we sat on rusting brown folding chairs. And about... Two months later, someone said, I'm tired of these chairs. By the way, that's how you get change in the church. You just let it go, right? When the piano's out of tune, just let it go, let it go. And someone finally, what's up with the piano? Oh, we need $400, you know. So uh, someone said, well, how much would chairs be? So we did the research, $10,000 for 200 chairs. So the elders approved that someone would make an announcement. And I said, I didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't think it would work. And two weeks later... $10,000 came in. Prior to that, we were we needed 19,000 to finish the paving out here. We couldn't get an occupancy permit until that paving was done and Easter's coming up and that was the goal, right? 19,000 came in. It's a process of dying. It's dying to yourself. When you die to yourself, God provides the power to do what you didn't think was possible. All of our obedience is shaped by the cross. The goodness we express doesn't do anything for us except give us the experience of meeting the grace of God to do it. And what happens is that God takes us out of our own glory story and moves us into the true story of glory. 
And we express thankfulness to that, to him for that. Now, as we approach the Lord's Supper this morning, I want you to focus on one key word, and that is remember. You see, quite frankly, when I just exhorted you from Scripture to do good, we can't remember that. And here's the humbling thing. Even as we think about the key word remember, we can't do that one very well either. How well have you this week remembered the Lord's death and burial and resurrection for you? How well have you remembered that? The key word this morning is remember. The word is not do good. The word is not perform. The word is not accomplish. The word is, the word is passively receive the active work of Jesus for you. This means that he went, lived his perfect life, went on the cross, offered his righteousness on your behalf, and now you are called not to do something dynamic, not to be a world changer. You're not supposed to go out and fix everything. You are called to remember. And from that remembering, God will empower you. God will give you strength and goodness. Goodness will become a value in your heart. Goodness toward others. Sacrificial, Christ-honoring, death-dying goodness. So let's remember. And as we do it, there's power to do what feels impossible. Let's pray. Hmm. Father, Paul told the Corinthians that he decided to know nothing among them except Christ crucified. Father, uh, we thank you for the word remember. Help us to remember now. Father, we'd, we pray you'd give us faith. 